All right, everybody. Welcome back to the John Q. Public Podcast Show. This is episode number eight, and it is the fourth part of our series titled The Federal Reserve Scamorama. And I do believe that we've probably got one, maybe two more episodes after this one. This one is going to be kind of... Um, Not like a break, but it's going to lay a foundation for the remainder of our series. And today's episode, um, I don't know if it's going to be a little bit shorter, maybe, but it's specifically talking about the question of what is money. And you have to understand that when we put such a definition out there, okay, those who are in control of the situation, in this case, the Federal Reserve, they dictate what money is for our purposes, right? History has shown us, you know, time and time again, that there are different ways to produce money. There's different things that would qualify to fit the definition of money or currency. But we can probably all agree there's like this mystery surrounding the nature of money. And this day and age for the United States and for several other countries, cultures around the world, it's a fiat currency. Okay? You can't take a silver troy ounce, go to your local grocery store, and purchase things with it. You have to use the fiat currency, which the Federal Reserve has control of, and dictates what its value is. But remember, it inherently has no value. It only has value because people accept that it has value to pay for goods and services. Now, sure, you could you could work out your own, you know, private system with, you know, say you had a guy that was going to work on your car, local auto mechanic, you know, you could work out a situation with him where you paid in gold and silver because he can turn around and take that and go get fiat currency with it. So you kind of get the, the little bit of the, the idea here. But the question for this episode then is what is money? And you have to understand for, for the Federal Reserve, their very first step had to be to essentially redefine what the definition of money itself is. They had to destroy the concept of using precious metals and things that inherently have value for for our modern economy. We'll dive into some of the historical events in a minute. But for ever since the creation of the or passage of the Federal Reserve Act in 1913, there had to be a definition 
And that definition simply is that fiat currency is our form of money. The really funny part, though, is that even our government can't or maybe refuses to, might be the better way to put it, define what money is. See, if you, you know, years ago, there, there used to be on, uh, on currency or, you know, what would be considered lawful money. Prior to 1965, I want to say 65, maybe it was 64, Currency had a phrase, something to the effect of, will pay to the bearer on demand or is redeemable in lawful money. So if at the time, you know, you had this statement of lawful, on demand, etc. But if you were to try to, say, go to the Federal Reserve return a Federal Reserve note as, you know, wanting to get lawful money, it would be rejected because there's no specific definition of what, you know, pay on demand would be, of what, you know, redeemable and lawful money would be. They don't want to put a definition on it. So it makes you wonder, right, is this such a like mysterious concept that it can't be defined. And it makes you think. So is it the paper money that we call currency, the you know, the fiat, is it coins? You know, is it um when you go on your phone on an app or you go on the computer on the website and you're looking at your bank account, do those numbers indicate anything real, anything tangible? You know, if you, and if you remember talking about, you know, how banking system utilizes our money, right? Like say you have money in your savings account. Is it real? Is it really there? And, you know, is, if you think about it, what about the value of, you know, homes, land, you know, personal things that you own, watch? Or is it that, you know, maybe money, as we currently know it, is just basically, you know, it, it has value only because that's what's, you know, that's what's used. there. Because if you think about it, there's nothing stopping, let's say, Home Depot. There's nothing specifically stopping them from saying, we'll accept gold and silver as payment for our goods, we'll give you spot price or, you know, however you want to do it at the time of your purchase. That's what it's worth. You can use that to buy whatever the difference is, right? We'll give you that back in, 
in cash. There's nothing stopping them from doing that. It's just more work. They wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't want to do that. But the main function of the Federal Reserve being to regulate the supply of money, but if nobody's able to or nobody wants to define what money is, it keeps us from truly having an opinion about how the system is actually performing. Now, I think we can all agree it's not performing very well given how much money has been sent into the economy created out of nothing over time. But that's the way that they want it. You know, the Federal Reserve is intentionally a complex subject. And by the time, you know, like through this series, and as we, you know, dive deeper into it, definitions have been distorted. And, you know, basic concepts of things, like people just assume. And under these variables and these different conditions that are there, you know, intelligent conversation becomes really difficult and chaos just ensues. So by starting at the beginning and kind of dealing in a, in a sequence, as it were, you could look at it and you could break it down and you you really would be like stunned and be amazed at how simple this whole thing is. And I hope that the first three episodes, if, if you've listened to them, how this will tie in here. So the purpose here today, right? So, you know, can, can we have a, a usable definition for what money is? No. A dictionary is never going to be any help. Um, you know, you ask economists, you ask successful business people, you know, whatever. No one's going to agree. You know, the only thing that they would agree on is that we use fiat currency, we use Federal Reserve notes, cash and coin. And that's what people assume and just accept as you know, what money is, even though as you listen to this and you dive deeper in and hopefully you do your own research, you understand that it's not even, it's not even real. But if I were to put a definition on it, like if you, if you asked what, what I would do, you know, with regards to defining what money is, then I would go with something to the effect of money is anything which would agreeably be accepted as, you know, exchange of goods and services. So if I went on Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace where people are selling things and I came to an agreement with someone that they were going to accept, you know, uh, an ounce of gold for this, you know, motorcycle that they were selling or something like that. That gold then is, is the money. 
and there's different, you know, there's different forms of of this. You've got a bartering system, which we, you know, we've had all throughout human history, um, which you could tie in as like commodities as well. You know, you've got fiat currency that we that we deal with now. And you could probably, you know, tie in something like, um, and we will, our banking system that uses fractional reserve. And you could, you know, look at it that way. And they all have different, different functions. They've all been involved throughout human history. And if you think about it, if you go back thousands of years, or... I guess if you believe, you know, what, depending upon what your, you know, maybe your religion, your faith belief is, it could be millions, it could be thousands of years, whatever, just go with me. Well, that doesn't matter. But so the course of human history, however long we've been on this planet, before we had any like kind of official money, you would have had, you know, swapping of goods and services in a bartering system. You know, or look at like fur trading or, you know, any number of things throughout human history, right? That served as money. Uh, labor, right? If you're skill, skilled labor, maybe, you know, exchange of, of labor, right? You're an electrician. You got a buddy who's a plumber exchanging services and, and bartering. And there you have intrinsic value. Fiat currency has no intrinsic value. As I've alluded to before, if the economy crashed, if we went back to a bartering society, that paper fiat currency has no value. The only way that you would make it is precious metals and intrinsic value of goods and services. So then we look at things like um, commodities. So as society has evolved, there's you know, commodities that are available, things that are useful, things that, you know, you could trade because maybe they've got, you know, value where they could grow over time. And, you know, these are things like food and livestock. So, you know, society evolving over time and us not living like, you know, say cavemen, <laughs> right? Um, you know, this, we've moved past that particular type of thing. Now, commodities still exist. The difference being is if you wanted a commodity, you pay with fiat currency for the most part. You could, again, you could work out a situation with someone, pay with gold and silver or something else. But for the most part, right, commodities, if you look at that, are being bought and sold via fiat currency. Well, and then we've, you know, we've got things like metals, precious metals. Ores, you know, we, we take them, we mine them. We melt things down, we get the impurities out, and you've got, you know, coins historically or ingots or bars or whatever. And metals have served as money for 
you know, thousands or, you know, however long you want to look at it, that, you know, coins used to actually be made from gold and silver or copper, like 100%. And they were, you know, they would meet the requirements for, for trading very easily, and they have intrinsic value. They're not perishable, right? Maybe not oxidizing, anything like that. You know, if you take a take a gold coin, leave it out in a field for for ten years, say you know, like mark the spot, and you could go back and dig it up in ten years. Yeah, I mean, have some dirt and stuff on it, but you clean it up, it doesn't oxidize. It just maintains its integrity, and that's you know, that's huge. Animals and certain other things, they you know, they die or they perish or whatever. But you can take metals, you can melt them down, you can reshape them, you can reform them. And most importantly, they can be measured precisely. Money inherently needs to be a, quote, storehouse, and it needs to be a measure of value. Everything else in an economic system is compared to this on this basis. So it's got to be measurable and it's got to be constant. And this is where gold, of course, became so useful. And it was chosen as the universal money. And you'll hear people talk about the gold standard. And you know, I look at silver as well. You know, many um, many people historically in politics argued for a silver standard instead of a gold standard because silver was more has been more plentiful. And so, when we you know when we look at this, gold provided like this perfect compromise between quantity and value. And it's in great demand. So when we look at, quote, intrinsic value, this is why gold was so, you know, so sought after. And... You know, the movement away from the gold standard was driven by this idea that there's not enough gold or it's it's in too limited supply. But, you know, when, when you look at it, that doesn't make any sense. You know, first of all, they can keep finding gold. If you think about how big the earth is and how much mining and digging and everything, and then you think about how much gold they've intentionally put away in government or bank stockpiles, right? Vaults somewhere that we probably will never, ever see again. You've got jewelry and, you know, ornamental things. You've, well, then you've got, you know, the richest of the rich and all private citizens who have gold. So, you know, I I don't think we'd ever be in a situation where it's, quote, in short supply. However, th- that really it doesn't mem- that really doesn't 
matter. You know, the primary function of money is to use as a measure of value. So no matter how much, you know, gold there might be, if the supply of gold in relationship to the supply of available goods is so small that, like, say, a, a one-ounce coin would be too valuable for, you know, minor transactions, which it is, if you think about the fiat price of, of gold at this point in time, right? Just, just bust it down into smaller things. And the amount of the gold in the world doesn't affect its ability to serve the purpose of money. It only affects the quantity that would be used to measure a transaction. So, you know, we I think one of the best examples that we could ever utilize to make this as, quote, common man as possible is the game of Monopoly. Right? Everybody starts the game given uh, a supply of money. And that's what they're going to use to do their business throughout the game. And if you think about it, it doesn't take all that long for at least one person, or let's say you got four people playing, uh, to feel, you know, a shortage <laughs> of the cash that they have. And so, you know, people are like, oh man, if we if we had more money, we could, you know, we'd have a lot more fun or whatever. But let's look, well, let's look at two, then if we throw at it. So, you know, somebody says, well, I got another, I, I got another Monopoly game. Let's just, uh, we'll take the money out of that other Monopoly game and just add it to, add it to our game we go no so then everybody says all right well let's just um like in in even amounts let's take the the small bills the like the ones and fives let's say and we give them to everybody equally and let's say in in value it doubles the the money supply of the original game so we got twice as much money as we did 10 minutes before. But think about this. How would anybody be better off? The amount of spaces on the board didn't increase. So because everyone has more money, the bidding prices on existing pieces would go up. The law of supply and demand seeks equilibrium with more limited money supply. Think about that. If the quantity of money increases without a corresponding expansion in goods, the effect is reduction in purchasing power 
Or in other words, <laughs> nothing really changes except that the quoted price of everything goes up. That is exactly what has been happening for 110 years. Okay, but think about it then. The quote quoted price, the price expressed in terms of the monetary unit. But really, the, the price that we feel, or what you could call the real price, so the relation in relationship to all other prices, remains the same. It's just that the relative value of the money supply has gone down. Prices don't go up. The value of money goes down. And that's how we always look at it. We look at it like the price has gone up. Like So if we look at now where we're at in 2023 versus pre-COVID in 2019, yeah, prices of things have gone up. And it's it's easy for everyone to think about like, you know, um, the the price increases are things that are getting passed down to the consumer. So th think about this. Uh, the cost of eggs and milk and whatever is going up. Food is going up. Okay. But as an example, so I went into Walmart a couple of days ago. TV prices haven't gone up. Clothing prices haven't gone up. Do you get the idea here? Certain things that we experience in going up are those certain things which are most commonly purchased. And when you look at transportation and all these other things, okay, the production cost of crude oil, petroleum, some of these other things, okay, is not inherently going up. There's significantly more money floating around the economy, diluting the value of our dollar than there was even just a couple of years ago. If you look at the amount of money through legislation that the government is requesting from the Federal Reserve to borrow more debt, right? Um, it has significantly diluted the value of what we utilize on a daily basis. And where a lot of people get, you know, maybe caught up, misdirected, whatever it might be, when the government told everybody we're going to pass this COVID relief that's going to have stimulus checks in it for people. With as hard as it might have been at the time to say that this actually didn't need to happen, people didn't want to hear that. And the leadership in the government wanted to try to play hero or whatever it might be. And I think that we find ourselves in a situation where the vast majority of politicians actually don't understand how economics works and money supply and, and all that. The, 
the reason that the general public and the general populace, um, particularly people that favor socialism and, you know, bigger government and like a level amount of income for everybody across the board is that, you know, that they, they focus only on the need to increase their own money supply. If, if everybody stopped for a minute and you thought about the impacts of the total supply increasing, it would become apparent that it actually doesn't make any sense to, to do it. And it, it didn't. And we are seeing, right, we're continuing to see the, the impacts of it. So, you know, the, the real hard truth is that it doesn't matter what the supply of money is. Any supply <laughs> will do just as well as anything else. Uh, the free market just adjusts itself, changing the purchasing power. You know, there's no need for a planned increase in the money supply. So, you know, everybody gets punished under under inflation. Everybody does. The extremely wealthy weather the storm better because they've got, you know, financial assets that are working in a different manner than, you know, the, you know, 99% of America. But the when the Federal Reserve claims that one of its primary objectives is to stabilize prices, it's failed miserably. The Federal Reserve is the mechanism for destabilizing prices. If the Federal Reserve wanted to stabilize prices, it would actually stop for a minute, tell the United States government, no, we can't do this. Instead of spiking interest rates, instead of trying to do the mechanisms that it's doing right now with Jerome Powell and, and some of this other stuff. And uh, just as a side note, so if you, you can find this, it's out there on YouTube. I watched it the other day. John Kennedy was the Senator. John Kennedy was interviewing Jerome Powell. I don't know how long ago it was. I'm, I'm sure it's, it was pretty recent, but he had asked Jerome Powell. Um, I forget exactly how he said it, but something to the effect of inflation is just, an issue with supply and demand. And that's it's not that's not the case. Inflation happens when you've got more fiat currency. And all they would have to do is stop tinkering with the money supply. Prices become automatically stable under a commodity system. And it was fine under the gold standard. But the creation of the Federal Reserve was essentially drawn up by these seven people who said, we want to control the money supply. It's a mechanism for us to perpetually, and our, our family, and you know, we pass this on to the generations, et cetera, et cetera, um, to control everything. And it doesn't work for the economy, but they don't care. And that's what you have to remember is they don't care. They could stop printing more money and producing more coin. 
They could. And with as much as our lovely politicians want to play doomsday politics and fear-mongering and all this, if the Federal Reserve said, no, we want you to pay off this $31 trillion in debt that, that you've accrued over the last 110 years, we want you to pay to pay that back, and we're going to start drawing this in. We're not going to print anymore. If you want to send money to Ukraine, if you want to do X, Y, or Z, you're actually going to use the currency that's in existence. Or you're going to send stuff that you have that's already there. So gold as a measure of value is is perfect silver and some of these other things and when we look at you know the the option here of well what if things start shrinking or you know the whatever it might be well again you can split coins you can you know you can you can make smaller coins you can do different things and gold really precious metals it's the enemy of our modern day left or the welfare state as you want to look at it you know the leaders of of countries nations whatever that you know they've gotten more sophisticated as time goes on in the methods which they <laughs> which they use to devalue currency so instead of like taking coins and cutting them in half or whatever it might be now it's just done through the banking system and you know we look at all through history okay and particularly in the united states here so when we left the gold standard it made it wholly possible for those who advocate for the welfare state big government government control etc people will own nothing you use the banking system as the means to an unlimited expansion of credit, creation of more debt, right? Without having a gold standard, there is no way to protect your savings from confiscation through inflation. Again, it is the most cruel and punishing tax that we have ever had assessed on us. We don't have, like, there's not a safe place to store value. And you can bet, if there was, government would have made it illegal. As it did, in the case of gold, right, when they left the gold standard and the government required everyone to turn in its gold, and you can find that's I can't remember I forget what year it was, but yeah, everybody had to turn in gold, and the government basically told them we will give you fiat currency in return for that as what we deem it's worth. So the you understand where we're moving to, the policy behind the welfare state 
is it's going to require that there is no way for the owner of any kind of wealth to protect themselves. And when people get control and they just fall into the system of how it works, they just become a talking piece for the Federal Reserve. And that, like, Jerome Powell is there right now, and that's exactly what he's doing. His job is to protect the Federal Reserve. His job is to say just enough without saying too much and being very vague and all this stuff. And you have to understand, and we'll get into interest rates in maybe the next episode, but you have to understand the, the mechanisms behind how the Federal Reserve has evolved and changed and what it's doing now is the idea is to continue to allow the government to pile on debt and pile on debt and pile on debt. I firmly believe that we would have been fine through the most you know, recent COVID era with everything that was going on without them needing to, you know, take the stimulus and pass that and some of these other things. Like we would have been okay, but in conjunction with that, they flooded the economy with currency and then they took rates down to nothing for people to borrow. And what do you think people did? They went and they debt loaded and they flooded credit cards and all this different stuff, right? High interest rates on credit cards. Banks still making money. You get the idea here. So you have to understand the nature of money and in order to understand right, what the Federal Reserve has been doing for the last 110 years. Understanding that fiat currency, Federal Reserve notes, have no inherent value, again, it means that there does not need to be a limit on how much of something there is, particularly when you're in control. Again, the Federal Reserve will happily continue to print more money because that means it's getting more interest. It doesn't require the entity it's lending to to pay back the principal. And this would be, again, just the same as if, if you had a credit card or you had you know a mortgage financing of some sort. The longer that you have to pay it off, the more interest you're paying. And that's why if you look at you know, when you get financing, if you look at the amortization schedule on, say, a house, so you finance a $250,000 house with the bank, and they show you the amortization schedule, okay, and you've got to pay it off for, you know, 360 months, so you got a 30-year note. If you look at that, that payback schedule, and you look at how, how it's structured, Interest is always first. So, like, let's, you know, real quick, I know we got to wrap up here. But that first payment you make, let's say your, you know, your payment is, I don't know, 1500 bucks, just as, as a simple analysis. 
that first payment, 1500 bucks, might be, and I'm, bear with me, I don't know the exact numbers here, but let's say that 1400 of that 1500 is interest. You've paid 100 towards principal. And so you get, you know, 10 years, or five years down the road. Interest rates look a little bit better. You refinance, stretch it out again. All, like all this stuff. It might look appealing to refinance to a lower rate, but you really have to check things out because the bank isn't doing this in the goodness of their heart. They're doing this because they want to string you along farther. Because even though that interest rate might be better, you're resetting the clock to pay more interest again up front and pay more and pay more and pay more. And that's where mathematically it works out better. Get the best one that you can initially on, you know, say a 30-year note and pay it off faster. Put more money towards principal because that's less money that's calculating on that APR as you go. But anyway, so, you know, in opposition to common belief, you know, the system, it's not complicated. Money really is just defined as anything which is accepted as something for exchange of goods and services it's accepted as you know like that's for whatever that value is and we know that there are you know different kinds of money that are out there precious metals is is the most stable and most reliable based on based on experience but you know when we look at the, the Morgans and the Rothschilds and everybody back in, you know, 1910, and then you get the government involved and everything, and you come up with this system of fiat currency, and you take all the gold, and you got to remember, if everything collapsed, the Federal Reserve has all the gold. They would be fine. And over time... We've got perpetual manipulation, expansion of the money supply, debasement, devaluation of, of currency, more paper, right? And these practices have led to economic and political disaster. And when the entities have actually refrained from manipulating the money supply and just allowed the free market to do its thing. The result has actually been prosperity. And so just think about as time as time goes on and the government talks about, quote, spending more money and we need to send aid to this country and we're going to pass this legislation for $500 billion or $1 trillion or whatever. Please remember that whenever that is done, it requires the printing of new currency. Because the taxes that we as American citizens pay are just enough, and not nearly as much as they should be, unfortunately, but they're enough to cover interest payments, basically. And as long as the interest payments can keep being made, the Federal Reserve will happily pay 
whatever it needs to pay because the U.S. is also collecting interest from other company countries and it's loan money too. So just think about that. Think about the definition of money. Think about the world that we live in and, and how these mechanisms work. And maybe that'll help you better understand, you know, inflation, why prices seem to go up, even though the prices don't. It's just it takes more money to acquire the same, you know, the same thing. And so anyway, it's been another episode of the John Q. Public Podcast Show. Again, uh, I think we've got another episode or two left with this. Uh, we'll finish up with some more of the Federal Reserve stuff. Dive into a couple of things pertaining to interest rates and, and some of the other things. And try to wrap this up. But I thank you so much for joining us here. And we'll talk to you again soon. Take care.